You're listening to the Weekend Collective Podcast from Newstalk ZB. And welcome back to the Weekend Collective, uh, Tim Beveridge. And um, but I think actually, you know, the, the comment um, that uh, Peter Dunn made, which I thought was a really interesting one, was, uh, and I hadn't thought of this, was because we all actually thought, you know, Andrew Little, when he stepped down and, and handed the, the reins to Jacinda Ardern and it had the outcome it did, everyone sort of looks back and go, you know, well, that took a degree of humility and maybe... Um, we should apply that same standard to Jacinda Ardern on that as well because the writing sort of was on the wall for her and she, she knew when to go. So that is sort of maybe a tick in the good judgment column. Meanwhile, let's shift things on now. Um, Finland has become the 31st member of NATO having officially joined the alliance um, earlier this week, I think on Tuesday. Um, so Putin judged that by invading Ukraine, I think he could stop the further expansion of NATO. Uh, but it hasn't quite worked out that way. And joining us to discuss that and other issues, uh, Robert Patman, he is the Professor of International Relations at Otago University, joins me now. G'day, Robert. G'day, Tim. Um, Okay, how big a deal is this um, NATO thing with Finland? Oh, I think it's a very big deal, and it's likely to be followed within a month or so with Sweden following uh, as well and joining uh, NATO. So we have two countries... Finland, uh, which is a very military-capable country, um, it's a population of about 5.5 million, but it's got very, you know, as a previously neutral country, it took uh, great care to make sure that it kept its military guard up. So it'll be bringing uh, considerable military capabilities to to the NATO alliance. And then the Sweden. And Sweden, also a country previously NATO, a previously neutral, I beg your pardon, and now on the verge of joining NATO. And it changed the mind uh, in both Finland and Sweden, directly linked uh, to President Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, a country of five and a half million people. I think I saw they've got, two, is it 250,000 military reservists or something? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a huge number. But um, given that they were, um, they agreed to main, remain neutral, you know, in about 1939, I think, um, and they've been a buffer. And now that there's no buffer, is this a cause for celebration? Um, hmm. Not sure it's a cause for celebration, but it certainly boosts NATO. Um, uh, you mentioned there historically, uh, the, the former Soviet Union invaded Finland. I think it was in 1939. They had a, a very bloody war for two years, in which, by the way, Finland acquitted itself extremely well. Hmm. Since then, Finland has always been aware of the threat from Moscow, but um, chose during the Cold War to avoid provoking Moscow and, and, and had a neutral position. But, as you quite rightly say, has always invested quite significantly in the military sector. And um, we're not just talking about the number of reserves, but also the military capabilities of the country, which has sophisticated both air and ground capabilities. So with um, the expansion of NATO um, and the headlines that uh, Russia is at the moment chairing the Security Council at the UN, which seems a bit perverse to me, what relevance does the UN have uh, in influencing the outcome of the war in Ukraine as opposed to an organisation like NATO? Well, I think in in a sense, um, NATO has lost its way, particularly in the post-Cold... Sorry, um, the UN Security Council has lost its way in the post-Cold War era, Tim. Mm. One of the biggest reasons is, of course, the use of the veto, which means that five countries have a privilege that no other 
countries have. We're talking of the permanent five members of the Security Council, yeah. the US, China, Russia, France and Britain. They can basically block anything they don't like, which means that some of the most dangerous situations in the world don't get any attention. And the Ukraine is a classic case, as President Zelensky said in a dramatic address to the UN Security Council in April last year, you failed us, you let us down, you were not the barrier to war that you were designed to be. Mm. And the reason being, of course, uh, one of the key members of the Security Council, Russia, had carried out, had ripped up the UN Charter and uh, invaded uh, Ukraine, and not only that, to add insult to injury, then vetoed a resolution condemning its invasion of fellow members of the Security Council. So it, it, it is, a, uh, I think, in a sense, particularly the democracies, they look to NATO by default because the UN Security Council uh, lacks authority, it's, it's dysfunctional, and uh, just um, has become something of a bystander in terms of crucial international security situation. Mm. Given that um, Russia has now given Belarus a mobile ballistic missile system which is capable of carrying nuclear warheads, um, mm. they've parked them on the border with Poland, which, you know, it's a provocative move. That goes against something an agreement that uh, Russia had with China, doesn't it? Yes, both. I, I think the relationship between Russia and China has been overhyped, yeah. Tim. Um, both countries... After Xi Jinping's much vaunted visit to Moscow, which certainly was an act of solidarity with an increasingly isolated Moscow, yeah. um, uh, it's interesting that both countries have taken steps which have irritated the other. The Chinese have told Mr. Putin in no uncertain terms there must be no use of any type of military capabilities in the conflict in Ukraine. They've been absolutely clear and they've reaffirmed that since the Moscow meeting. And they are irritated by this move. Uh, so Putin's doing something the Chinese don't like. But secondly, the Chinese part have organized an interregional meeting amongst all the four, a number of the Central Asian former republics of the, the Soviet Union, countries like Kazakhstan mm. and uh, Turkestan. These attended a meeting gathered by China, which, again, is un, in, in a sense, is acting against Russia's interests because Russia's always seen itself as uh, being the big mentor in that part of the world. So there's, there's something of a marriage of convenience going on between Moscow and China. Mm. Both countries are taking steps to undermine the other, but professing their, um, without limits, as they put it, um, alliance. Okay, well, and, and, and I guess it depends on what happens with the, the next sort of um, US president. I hope that things don't last too long. But now let's talk about Trump. Um the former US, U.S. president, should I say, hoping to be president again. What did you make of um, him finally appearing to answer those charges of 34 criminal charges of falsifying business records? Well, he's pledged, he, 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 he said he's not guilty, of course, uh, to all charges. But that's only one of his legal... He's facing a bit of a sort of a, a traffic snarl up when it comes to legal <laughs> investigations. He's facing... A whole, that's just one of multiple legal investigations into the former president. Uh, the other, well, three other notable ones, um, one concerning uh, his alleged interference in the uh, election George, uh, in Georgia, he apparently sought to overturn the, the result to yeah. get him back into the White House. The, the other thing is, of the events of 6th of uh, January, uh, 19, uh, 2021, I should say, the story of the Capitol Hill, and finally, but not least, uh, the 
the fact that the president, the former president, took a lot of classified documents with him back to his his home in Florida after he left the White House. So he's facing some very serious investigations. And even if the hush money one, which is the current, the first one being considered uh, for the former uh, porn star Stormy Daniels, which who yeah. apparently had a relationship with the president, even if it's resolved in Mr. Trump's favour, he still faces a bit of a legal quagmire going forward. I, I saw an opinion. Um, um, well. <laughs> plenty of opinions written about it but one of the, uh, the comments that stood out to me was um the the writer said that listening to trump has become a chore and that was the thing that when he was doing one of his addresses again i thought oh god we've heard this all before so my optimistic side of me is hoping that he's going to become more like a tourist attraction where people go and see his rallies simply because you've just got to go and see one rather than being a political force I, I acknowledge that's a bit optimistic, but what's your take on it? Because he just sounded like it was like Groundhog Day, just talking about the lies and just his rhetoric. Yes, it was very much more of the same. But I think what we have to take into account, Tim, is that Mr. Trump's um, indictments have actually uh, boosted him in, 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 in polling numbers. And he's become the front runner once again to get a nomination for the Republican Party in 2024. In other words, what's happened is that Mr. Trump has used the indictment to help rally support for him. He raised uh, $10 million uh, in the period uh, since just shortly before and after the, mm. the, the hearing, the arraignment in New York. So I, I think all the people who are very keen on him, he, his poll ratings have never gone much beneath 40% Republic for the Republican Party. But you're quite right. For the people who are in the middle who are non-committed, uh, I think he's done nothing to win them over. So while his, his base support is in, you know, infused and fired up by Mr. Trump taking the establishment as they see it, uh, I think it's done nothing. These multiplying legal charges will only, I think, make many people who might have been tempted to vote Republican more sceptical. God, imagine another Biden-Trump election. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> I mean, because is there a possibility that there's going to be fresh blood on either side? It doesn't look like it at this point in time. But, you know, as one British Prime Minister once said, a week is a long time in politics. We can never tell. And the American uh, general election is quite a long way out. It's in 20, November 2024. So a lot can happen between now and then. But I agree with you. It does seem... Incredible! A country of 330 million plus people, uh, the richest country in the world. Uh, that, you know, if you look at it from a non-partisan point of view, is that the very best they can produce to oh, yeah. people in their late 70s uh, <laughs> uh, vying for the most powerful office in the world? It it does raise questions about the nature of the American political system. Oh God, yeah. Um, just quickly on the Ukraine. What do you what do you what do you think's next? I see there's some, uh, one slightly positive headline of some children being returned who were who were taken to Russia. Um, but what's what do you think that the the next few months hold in store for Ukraine? Well, I, I think uh, it's a bit of a holding pattern at the moment, where the Russians have been using an infantry-led an offensive since late last year and beginning of this year, and that's continued. But it's come enormous casualties for Russia, mm. particularly around Bakhmut. They've made uh, you know, they've made incremental progress, but not not a breakthrough. Meanwhile, I think the Ukrainians are preparing for a counteroffensive, and that should come quite soon, probably May or June. 
And that's when they hope to use this inf- you know, quite impressive infusion of new weaponry from the West. Yeah. So we'll see what happens then. Excellent. Hey, uh, Robert, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate you Thank giving you. up some of your, your Easter Sunday for us. And we'll talk again. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers, Tim. That was Robert Patman. Uh, Patman uh, he's a professor of uh, international and aware of uh, international relations at uh, Otago University. Um, we'll be back in just a moment to uh, before we move on to the next hour, which is the Health Hub with Kyle McDonald. This is Tim Beveridge on the Weekend Collective News Talk ZB. It's uh, nineteen, uh, not nineteen. What am I saying? It's eight minutes to four. I don't know where I got the nineteen from. Back in a moment. For more from the Weekend Collective, listen live to News Talk ZB weekends from 3 p.m. or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.